0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. I did. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker. I'm very excited about this episode, and that is because my guest today is one of the people who gave me the inspiration to start Freedom Strips, um, as well as he was one of my first introductions uh, to the libertarian philosophy. He's the host of the very successful We Are Libertarians podcast. He is, of course, the great Chris Spangle. Chris, thanks for taking the time to come on the show, bud.
0: Absolutely, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Even though you're a ja- even though you're wearing a Jaguars shirt and as a Colts fan, I'm offended.
1: Oh Well, I, I tell you what, you've got the one up on us. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing to brag about, especially with this last season. We'll see what they do in the uh, in the postseason free agency. There's a lot of talk about maybe Nick Foles coming to Jacksonville. Um, I mean, at this point, bring back Maurice Jones-Drew. Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> dig him up from the grave. Uh, anyway, so I, I Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm a big fan of the We Are Libertarians podcast, and really with this show, I have a couple topics lined up here. I just wanted to kind of get your um, your, your feedback as a, as a veteran in the libertarian community. Um, but first of all, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to the listeners and kind of uh, give your background and your story?
0: Yeah, so I, like you told me before we started the show, I grew up as a Republican, and I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh and listening to... Uh, talk radio, and I've always wanted to do talk radio, which is sort of how I ended up doing We Are Libertarians, and I work in radio still. Um, and I I got my first job. I was a college Republican president, and I, I volunteered for a campaign for a Republican named Andy Horning, and he was libertarian, but I didn't know it, and so he would he started to kind of challenge some of my ideas. I liked what he had to say. And then I went to work for a talk radio station for a fairly libertarian-leaning guy named Abdul, and he really challenged everything I believed because when I go back and listen to those episodes from 2007, 2008, I sound so ill-informed and stupid that it wasn't hard (laughs) to challenge me at that point. And uh, I knew that if I wanted to do talk radio, if I wanted to to go into this business, then I needed some political experience. And I ended up working for the Libertarian Party of Indiana for four years from 08 to 12. Great time, you know, at the founding of the Indiana Tea Party. And, like, it was just a great time to kind of be a a libertarian as as people started to figure out what that was. I had become a libertarian around 2007, 2008. And uh, with the help of Ron Paul, uh, to be quite honest, and then had a brief stint uh, while I was at the Libertarian Party of Indiana, I just kind of thought, you know, I don't know that direct action politics is is quick enough. Uh, And I had always wanted to do radio. And so I started a podcast while I was there called We Are Libertarians. It initially was to to reach out to college students. And when I left the party, I brought the podcast with me and uh tomorrow is the 7th anniversary of beginning we are libertarians and then i went to work i work for a nationally syndicated radio show now and i basically do for a job what i have wanted to do for, for, uh, what i've done is my hobby and so i'm uh, i'm very fortunate to live a a blessed life that i i truly love and enjoy and you know we are libertarians basically is a I do the show once a week, and then we have uh, an episode just about every day from a group of of co hosts from a wide variety of perspectives on a lot of different issues. You know, we have libertarians that would consider themselves SJWs, and you know, and then we have anarchists. And I'm more of a, uh, I guess, if 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 I could have my way, I'd be an anarchist. But I, I at this point, I'm just more maybe of a constitutionalist mm. um, because. That, I think, is kind of the framework that Americans will accept at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, but I I really over time, like it started as a way for me to learn about politics and the libertarian philosophy. But as we've kind of grown, we've moved more from politics to some sociology to really talking more about how we interact with each other on a daily basis that might bring about a free world and bring freedom in our own lives uh, instead of just what is the libertarian opinion on this issue. We do a lot of that, but we also talk a lot about how can we relate as people to rely on government less and each other more. So so that's sort of where the program is after several different iterations. But it's been a great time to to learn. We've grown f- far beyond what I ever expected we would grow into. and And it's so great to meet people like yourself who say, I'm a libertarian largely because I listened to the show and you you challenged my thinking and I evaluated my own beliefs and and it's great to hear he- hear someone like yourself who had that same experience I had way back in 2005 2006 when I had my own thinking challenged and that's really what it's about.
1: Yeah, no, your show is really refreshing to to find especially at a time where in 2016 I was really starting to question what I believed, uh, especially after the you know the Trump fiasco happened. I'm like, w- what is happening? What's going on here? I haven't been really paying attention. Um, I- I've I heard of the Libertarian Party. I certainly knew of uh, Ron Paul, um, who is the godfather of of those views. And the more I've researched libertarian values, uh, and the more I've researched Ron Paul, and and that with the help of your show, th- that's just helped confirm that this really is where I kind of line up with the most. It just makes the most sense. Um, So do you see one of the questions I have is what do you, what do you see the, the with the libertarian party and the future of the party? Do you, do you see there's a chance of increasing um, with their influence in, in politics in 2020 or 2024? Or do you see maybe the libertarian philosophy, maybe invading the Republican party and having it, um, kind of take over in that way? Because uh, you already kind of see that with the likes of, and, and I know a lot of libertarians don't really look at him favorably, but with uh, Rand Paul um, and with the the, the likes of um, Justin Amash and Thomas Massey, you see that in the GOP. Uh, what are your views on that? Well, I think I think you have
0: to be careful when you're looking at Facebook for your opinions on what libertarians like and don't like because – I've noticed that Facebook libertarians are fairly disagreeable about and don't like very much, and that's partly because they don't do much and so they're very ill informed because they're very, uh, <laughs> the they're, very in, they're very inexperienced but I think if you're somebody who has been in the trenches and has um been a libertarian for a few years and has Uh, You know, I I worked with people who were at the founding of the Libertarian Party and, you know, they don't they don't dislike Rand Paul because they look at Justin Amash, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey and go instead of one Ron Paul, we now have five. You know, we have Mm -hmm. we have people like Mike Lee who are favorable or Ted Cruz who are favorable to a libertarian argument and. I think what a lot of people, I think a lot, what a lot of nascent libertarians don't understand is that if you go back and look at the history of the conservative movement, it really started to coalesce around William F. Buckley and the National Review. Um, And you had guys like Mises and you had, uh, you know, even Rothbard was starting to write at that point and Hayek, and they represented this libertarian view of economics, Um, but Around the founding of the National Review, William F Buckley, who was a self described libertarian started to elevate voices like um, uh, like Frank Meyer like Murray rothbard even uh, mm-hmm. to to have a larger voice in the conservative movement because you had Robert Taft and all those guys but they weren't libertarians they were just paleo conservatives and so I'm getting off on a tangent but my my point is is that when you when you go back to the 50s, you start to see the growth of this ideology, and it starts to infect Republican politics. Nixon was never—he's uh, really kind of the person that built the modern Republican Party, but he was never uh, too favorable to the Goldwater crowd, but he wanted to recruit them. And then the Goldwater crowd produced Ron Paul and Ronald Reagan— and then Ronald Reagan and Ron Paul have obviously produced a lot of people who, who, who talk a lot about libertarianism. I mean, when you look at the actual inaction of a lot of it, it's, it's not, not pure. But there's no way to be a pure libertarian and to serve in serve serving government. It just isn't possible. If you want to be a, a pure libertarian that just stands on principle on everything, then I advise not running for office. Um, because if you get elected, you're going to have to deal with 250 years of entangled government mess yeah. but so i think if you take a long view to kind of sum this up if you take a long view and look at the libertarian the word libertarian and the movement really kind of getting started in the 40s and 50s and 60s look at how much it's blossomed now and how much further we're going to go in the internet age and I really look at a lot of millennials and what are called Zoomers or generation z they're very libertarian they 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 generally like yourself you know would probably agree with this. they want to be left alone, they want to keep more of their money mm. they don't want the government interfering. they think it's stupid that the government has as much power as it has. They disagree you know i, I mean marijuana is being legalized legalized because of people under forty mm. um across the nation. Uh, you're starting to see libertarian thought have an impact on much of the United States. Now, there are a lot of things that are not going well, like the security state or an increase in police power, but there are a lot of things that are going right, and it's because people under 40 are general generally libertarian. If you look at exit polling in Indiana, for instance, the libertarian candidate got 1% above 40 and 10% in age brackets below 40 and so it's only going to grow now when it's only going to grow in the republican party and i think the libertarian party could grow if it wanted to uh i am i am uh i have been a libertarian party member since 2007 um i don't think that i am current now i have i have refrained from expressing a lot of my doubts about the party until recently But I just think that Facebook groups have made it seem like the entire Libertarian Party is a certain way. And it's done such a great disservice to the hardworking people that have built the party, the grassroots of the party, the people that show up at conventions and run for office. And I really wonder if the Libertarian Party can survive the Facebook Libertarians who just want to scratch to death any person who doesn't uh, just toe the line. So – I I think if I were putting my money on it, the Republican Party is going to end up being uh a a stronger vehicle for libertarianism in the United States over the next fifty years than the Libertarian Party will be, which I personally am disappointed in because I want to see the growth of a third party. But I think that the party has no one to blame but themselves because of the way that it conducts itself a lot of times.
1: Mm. Yeah, I actually uh, that that was my my view of it. Just being a new libertarian myself, just kind of looking from the outside in, it, it seems like the infection of the Republican Party is a better vehicle because you already do have a senator with libertarian-leaning values in uh, Rand Paul. You have congressmen like Thomas Massey and Justin Amash in in Congress right now who are uh, very libertarian-leaning. And and I I think that as things go on – I'd love to see the Libertarian Party grow. Um, which actually, one of the the candidates I followed pretty closely, just because uh, I liked him so much, was um, Sharp, Larry Sharp, over yeah, in New Larry, York.
0: Larry Sharp. There, there were more. Now, here is the thing: there were more Libertarian candidates that were worth your time and money in two thousand and eighteen than in in the ten years that I've watched the party. I mean, there there is no doubt that the party is getting a better base of talent. Uh, and And I think there are a lot of libertarian party candidates that are worthy of support, and so i 'm not i 'm not totally bull, uh, not totally bullish or bearish on the party but i I look at it with more caution and when i when i 'm talking to my listeners uh, i I never want to tell you which path you ought to take because you need to take whatever path you think is best, but I think there 's no denying math when you look at the way that the Republicans and Democrats have have basically written the the election laws in this country it's very difficult for an independent or third party to make on a federal level an impact now on a local level you can have a huge impact and libertarian candidates have a lot of impact when they run on those on the uh, against those folks because I've watched Mike Pence who's now our, our vice president steal ideas from libertarian gubernatorial candidates like Rupert Bonham and turn them into policy when they became governor. And it's just because a libertarian candidate was running against them and per- per- raising these ideas and debates and influencing their governance. So I think there's a ton of benefits to the libertarian party. Uh, I think it's it's at the grassroots level when people are knocking on doors and running for office It's not when people are talking about the latest Tempest in a teapot in the party on Facebook. That is a complete waste of everyone's time, and it is counterproductive to the growth of libertarianism. Because if you're sitting on Facebook wailing about Bill Weld, then people like yourself who saw Gary Johnson and Bill Weld in 2016 and saw a rational option, people like yourself go, you don't go, oh, wow, that guy hates Bill Weld. You go, oh, wow, that guy hates me. Right. Yeah. Because people think about things very selfishly, they don't think about. That's absolutely you know, they, right. They're they're ranting against. Yeah, they're ranting against Bill Weld. But as as a listener, as a hearer, as someone who was brought into the party by that ticket, you go, "Wow, that guy is just not welcoming." And what's wrong with this party? And it turns you off, and people mm-hmm. leave the
1: party. Yeah, it's almost like what you're seeing with the Democratic Party right now, where they're eating themselves alive. Uh, it's like you know, if absolutely. they had a, a unified front, they could really. I mean, it wouldn't be even a question in my mind, if they could take 2020. However, they, they seem to be eating themselves alive and it's actually giving Trump a shot. And then you see, um, uh, someone with the likes of Howard Schultz, um, coming in with the ind- independent ticket potentially. Um, and, and that's a, it's an interesting topic it, from, from my view, I almost, I, I wouldn't ever vote for Howard Schultz. Um, however, I almost want him to do well. And just because mm-hmm. I want the, I would like the American people to see that there is the ability to to vote in a third party candidate. Like if you actually see a third party candidate, we we kind of saw this, not really with Gary Johnson, unfortunately. But if Howard Schultz can get to double digit numbers and actually make a debate, that that can actually open the minds, in in, in my opinion, open the minds of the American people to a third party, whether it be you know someone like a Howard Schultz, but actually prop up the ability for the libertarian party to actually make a move
0: well i mean people wail against gary johnson being so quote unsuccessful but the guy moved the needle from one percent to three percent which is monumental i mean he yeah. he had an unprecedented amount of media attention and people looked at that ticket who were not libertarian and said ah, i could see myself voting for them i mean the 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 aleppo moment and things like that were absolutely brutalized in the media. Uh, because and they were yeah, he left was out caught of off
1: guard by the question first of all yeah, he was but, talking about um they were talking about um me- medical drugs if i was if right, i remember correctly yeah. and then she throws gotcha. in, yeah and then she throws in the the <laughs> the aleppo and he gets confused because they've been talking about uh medical drugs this whole time and it, it's just seemed like he got caught off guard and they just took advantage of that Right. The tribalist
0: on both the Republican and Democratic side and in the media who don't want to see an outside voice a- mm-hmm. as president sees on those sorts of things. And I've said to libertarians, you need to watch how Trump is treated because th- what w- outsider presidents, when they are elected president, people like Bill Clinton, well, he was very much an outsider. Go watch The Clinton Affair on, I think, A&E. You'll see the parallels between Donald Trump's presidency and Bill Clinton's presidency, and you see how little Washington establishments uh, on on any side don't want an outsider president, and they will do everything they can to keep an outsider president from from making headway, and that includes— so, you know the polling to admit Gary Johnson th- into the debate they're only polling people over 50 you know yeah. of course Gary Johnson's not going to hit the 15% threshold right. if you're rigging the poll so uh so it's not hopeless it just means that we have to we have to convince more of our friends that a it it isn't hopeless there there are definitely things that are uh, that are against uh, uh, us like you look at Howard Schultz and you look at you look at the people screeching to keep this guy from running as an independent. Well, those people are party tribalists. Like, those people are a very small number of people who have influential voices, but there's millions of people who can make a statement at the ballot box if he does run and completely change the system forever. Yeah. You know, little decisions, little decisions by singular individuals can make massive changes in a country and and i think you always have to think about every tweet, every action, every vote, every decision as if as if it is a very significant thing for you and for the people around you. If if one CIA person who is in charge at the CIA doesn't have so much pride and arrogance that they if they had been more humble and been more willing to work with the FBI, 9/11 would have never happened. Mm. But one one individual at the CIA kept the FBI from getting information that would have led to the arrest of the hijackers as they entered the country, and 9-11 would have never happened. One individual's choice at one moment in time caused 20 years of misery yeah. for us. You Butterfly know? Effect. And so yeah, So you have to really think about your personal decisions, and, and if you're voting Republican and Democrat, I think you really have to examine what kind of world you're – you're allowing that by by voting for them and saying with a, the rubber stamp, I approve of how you're running the country.
1: Yeah. One of the things that annoyed me the most um listening to during the 2016 uh, election was the, well, if you don't vote for candidate A, you're voting for candidate B. Yeah. Uh, and that was just, that never made any sense to me. But a lot of people get caught up in that kind of thinking. But it, it is... um encouraging to start to see these um, libertarian values increased within, you know, maybe a select few, but within the Republican Party. Um, So with Rand Paul, so um, one of the topics that I had for us to cover here was uh, Rand Paul actually uh, announced that he was going to vote against Trump's national emergency along with the rest of the Senate, um, which is likely to prop up uh, President Trump's uh, first veto Um, It says uh, right here from NPR, it says, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky says he'll vote in favor of a resolution to terminate President Trump's national emergency declaration with regards to the U.S.-Mexico border. Paul's support means the resolution will likely pass the Senate with bipartisan support and could force the president to issue his first veto. Paul's announcement coming from an otherwise close ally of the president, Lays bare the discomfort many Republicans had with the emergency declaration. Rand said, "I can't vote to give extra constitutional powers to the president." Uh, on Tuesday, the Democrat-controlled House voted two forty-five to one eighty-two to approve the resolution. Only thirteen Republicans joined Democrats to end Trump's emergency declaration. Um, th- this is a this is a thing that. Uh, I guess it depends on where you line up. If you're if you're a Trumpian, you're not very happy about this. But Rand and Trump have had an interesting relationship. I was actually talking to my dad the other day on the phone and talking about Rand Paul and Trump's relationship. They were kind of um, very close, and it's it's been nice to see Rand talk to Trump about pulling troops out of Syria, ending the Afghanistan war, um, trying to take these um, these initiatives to end these endless wars. Um, however, he's he's taking the right approach here in um, defying Trump's national emergency because it is a, a obvious breach of executive power. Um, but hopefully... I know there were rumors of Rand Paul potentially being a VP pick for uh, Trump in 2020, um, and then now there's rumors going around that potentially he could run in 2024 uh, in his own campaign. But it is comforting to see him... Uh, this kind of consistency uh, in a senator.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never take much stock in Rand Paul as a presidential candidate, because in 2016, he was asked to go meet the Koch brothers, who, uh, you know, have unlimited pockets, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I'm on vacation right now, so (laughs) he wasn't a a great (laughs) candidate back in the... Yeah, so you're either going to go for it or you're not, but... Yeah, exactly, uh, make up your mind. Right, so, you know, but Rand Paul, I think, is a much better politician than his father, Ron. Ron was much more unafraid of saying exactly what he believed and from a more pure libertarian standpoint, he was much more willing to be unpopular. And I think that Rand probably saw the alienation that that caused his father. He didn't get committee assignments. He didn't, you know, he wasn't, he was a hero to people like us, but to the majority of the world, he was, he was a joke. He wasn't taken seriously. And so, Rand has has at times frustrated me, uh, but, like, I think he has all libertarians, but I think it's because he's playing politics, and we didn't want, you know, Ron Paul never played politics. Uh, I mean, he did, but not not as overt as I think Rand does, who will say, you know, oh, I'll support that nominee, and it's just, like, the most overtly unlibertarian person like oh yeah William Barr's great I I don't I don't know if he supported William Barr but there's been several people that Trump has nominated that he supported and you're just like ugh yeah I know um but so he he plays the game because he understands fundamentally that politics is about trading this for that it's it's a it's a negotiation yeah and if he if he doesn't give something then he's not going to get something and so with Trump, I think he's been smart because Trump has some very non-interventionist impulses, and he does whatever the last person uh, he does whatever the last person said he ought to do. And so, if Rand Paul can be the last person in the room, then Lindsey Graham bemoans him poisoning <laughs> his mind, yeah. which he's has actually been not not near It's almost a quote. I mean, yeah. So, so I think Rand has been frustrating but effective and that always drives libertarians crazy yeah (laughs) but yeah um, one of the things i
1: I wanted to get your input on as well He, he recently just announced a um some new legislation so um I'll, I'll read a, a, a little bit covering this. Senator Rand Paul announced legislation Tuesday morning that would end the war in Afghanistan and give a $2,500 bonus to those who served in the war on terror. The war in Afghanistan started in October 2001 and is the longest war in U.S. history. So far, the war on terror has cost the American, American taxpayers $6 trillion with an annual expense of $45 billion in 2018 alone. Beyond the financial cost, around 3,200 American lives were lost on the battlefield with 20,000 who were wounded. Senator Paul argued that while he supported um, going to war after the attacks on September 11th, he believes that the battle is won. He doesn't believe Americans should stay in the Middle East to continue nation building. I wanted to get your uh, opinion on this bill.
0: I'm 100% for it. I think the, the war has gone on long enough. Um, it it you know I, I'm in a very different place with my foreign policy than I was in 2003. Um, you know I definitely I, I supported the Iraq War then, and I absolutely would not now. I, I think I would have. Um, I I probably. Would have been like Rand Paul softer on Afghanistan, but I would have voted against the just the authorization of military force that
1: has just given them. Well, a Well, I blank think if you wouldn't have supported the war, you would have been a very small minority of the population. A vast majority of the country yeah. supported going into Iraq.
0: Oh, absolutely, Ron Paul, uh, my my congresswoman Julia Carson, her grandson Andres, my representative now, she didn't vote for it for those reasons, and. And Cynthia McKinney, I think, you know, and these are people who were not considered the elite. Uh, um, but I I look at the Afghanistan war. If you really want to know what's going on in Afghanistan, there's a great movie with Brad Pitt on Netflix. Yeah, I, I, wanted to, I saw Dog. that.
1: I wanted to watch it. I haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically the story of Stanley McChrystal, who mm. Obama fired after some critical comments in Rolling Stone. But it shows you the absolute absurdity of the current "quote unquote" war in Afghanistan, and there's there's two there there are, like Max Boot, who is an absolute tool, uh, who is supposedly a <laughs> Republican who <laughs> criticizes Trump all the time. You know, recently got yeah. under you know, in hot water for saying that this is just the cost of being an American. Now we we are an empire, and we keep the world we. Uh, keep the peace in the world, and it's our duty to stay in Afghanistan. Well, that's nonsense. We we don't have peace in the world because the United States military has 159 bases in, con- in 159 countries. Yeah. We keep the peace because the world has nuclear weapons. And so the idea that we need these international bodies and that we need th- the United States military to be spending $6 trillion uh, uh, you know, over 20 years— It's ludicrous. It's absolute. It's an absolute falsehood. Yeah. And and people in the media who love to go to the parties with the people who work for the Council on Foreign Relations, because there's there's certain organizations that that uh, like the Brookings Institution, the Council on Foreign Relations, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Bilderberg Group, like it's not conspiratorial. It's the people who are in power. Meet together and enact the legislation and policy that comes out of these think tanks, mm-hmm. and you know when a Republican presidency comes in, AEI drains out and Hoover drains out, and they all go to work in the administration, and then all the Democrats go to work for the Center for American Progress and the Tides Foundation, and then and then they all switch, and it's basically just a, a an employment laundering system for all of their bad ideas, and so we have this continuing. Uh, set of ideas that started under Woodrow Wilson that have been carried forward by the Wilson Center, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Brookings Institution, and they perpetrate these myths that by leaving Afghanistan, the world will be less safe. That's just not true. We 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 have done all we can do there, which hasn't been much. Yeah, and we we have just drained. Uh, we have exploded our debt. We have killed. American men, innocent Afghans, uh and women, American men and women. I mean it's just it's just at this point you look at the foreign policy of the United States and you go what is American about this? There's so much of the government that if we actually understood the constitution then then we would look at things like this or like the declaration that Trump is trying to pass for the national emergency. And we would go. No, this is not the American system of government. We're not going to do this anymore. This is a perversion. But we don't. We don't. We don't learn the Constitution, and we're not really taught the Constitution. On yeah, that, that is one <laughs> so, of the things
1: that's so frustrating. Is is um, seeing. Well, like someone like Rand Paul um, getting the ear of President Trump and, and really um, kind of expressing uh, or actually reminding him he actually ran his campaign on ending these wars, uh, ending the war in Afghanistan, getting out of the war in Syria, these, these endless wars yeah. that are just spending trillions of dollars. And it's actually encouraging to see that, but it's also frustrating because you've got the lights of um, John Bolton and Mike Pompeo whispering in the ear of Trump. To well now you see them uh, with the talks of Venezuela, potential uh, military action in Venezuela. Um, but it, it's it, the thing about Trump. The, the thing that's encouraging about Trump is he's he's almost so transparent. He says things like, "You know, why do we even need NATO? You know, the Cold War has been over. We, we don't even need to pay for them." And he's like, you actually start to think like, well. You know, what's wrong about that statement? You know, a lot of people attacked him on that statement. It's just like, but it's true. The the Cold War ended in the 80s. Why are we funding this this system that is, is oppressing this system that has ended? Yeah. Well, so
0: Donald Trump is every talk radio caller that I ever screened when I worked at the now defunct WXNT. <laughs> like, I mean, Donald Trump says things about immigration that Larry from the east side used to say. Like, he, yeah. He, has, he is our first talk radio president, and there's good things and bad things about that. And one of the good things is that he questions the established order, and they hate that. I mean, it, it's not like Bill Clinton, who was eager to become the political establishment. Uh, Donald, Trump has, Donald Trump has an interesting uh, personality quirk in that he, he, he was never accepted by the New York elite. And he was—he has always had a chip on his shoulder about not being accepted by the very people that he beats up, and it it it, is—it's why it eats on him that the media doesn't accept what he's doing, that the Council on Foreign Relations crowd, the the dinner circuit, the people who, you know, if you've read This Town by Mark Leibovitz, where you know they're at Tim Russert's funeral, it's—it's the people who went to uh George H W Bush's funeral all those people hate Donald Trump yeah all those yeah. all those people have known each other for 40 years all those people have worked together on projects for a long time they're not evil people they're just they're perpetuating a system that is that is um that isn't proving it, it isn't giving us the results that we need mm-hmm. i think there there may be some evil people in the government but by and large i just think that it's full of people with wrong ideas like I don't think Ocasio-Cortez is an evil person or Bernie Sanders. I just think they believe things that are, aren't rational and I think they have bad ideas. No, I think I, you're I absolutely think true. Pencil. Yeah,
1: I think you what know? you're saying is absolutely true. I think if you if you legitimately tested Ocasio-Cortez and 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 put her on like a um I don't know what you call, what do you call the lie detector test, the litmus test, or or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, just a just a like a t- lie detector test. Lie detector, yeah. She would actually believe what she's saying. I, I don't right. I don't think that she's got this um, evil, nefarious um, way to kind of lie her way into having these um, systems put in place. I think she actually believes that these are the right direction to go, and these are the right things to help people. Uh, they're just completely terrible ideas that would just completely wreck the 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 united states as it is today um and then well and i think
0: and that's the thoroughly and that's the thoroughly un uh persuasive argument that libertarians make these are all evil people that know what they're doing and like uh, people just don't buy that and you know you yourself probably you know oh, i really like george w bush well, when a libertarian comes along and starts trash talking George W. Bush, you know, even now you may go. Ugh. And so when you when you bash Trump, when you bash AOC as evil, you're you're taking out of the the pool of potential libertarians five years from now. Yeah. A recruit like. And so you have to be careful about assigning motives that you don't know for sure. Like we know their ideas are bad. You can go after their ideas. You don't need to go after their their character like. Bernie Sanders it is fair to say he's a hypocrite given his three houses but he he is all about the poor and say you know so i i think there is uh th- there is an opportunity for libertarians to just recruit more people with better ideas and better persuasion than the establishment or the republicans or the democrats like we're we're in the game and we have the demographic shift on, in our favor we just need to pull our heads out of our butts and actually start messaging in a way that's actually going to convince people that our ideas and the consequences thereof are better mm-hmm. than AOC's. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not hard. You just have to do it, and people don't like to do work <laughs> uh, or be, feel vulnerable by doing what you're doing, which is I'm going to put myself out there. It feels weird, you know. You're just like. I'm going to start a podcast, and in the back of your mind, you're going, "Yeah, but who
1: the hell said yeah, I'm an authority? Exactly. On anything? I'm not an expert on anything at all." <laughs> but I think that that is one of right. the one of the challenges um, for me, and, and I, I am guilty of um, on a couple of my past uh, podcast episodes. We do poke fun at AOC just because it is some low hanging fruit. I mean, it, it's pretty easy to do. But mm-hmm. um, you're absolutely right; where you, you can alienate some people. Um, by, by just completely always talking negative about these people, but it is one of the hurdles that you have to kind of get around to. Um, especially when you're talking about the likes of a AOC or a Bernie Sanders, you have to almost, um, you, you can't really bring numbers and facts in, into a debate with the people who like these, um, these candidates or, or these political, um, people so you almost have to they they almost value stories and and like AOC you know you, you want to be more uh it doesn't matter if you're factually correct as long as you are morally right you know you it's almost that's that's a very difficult thing to kind of um to hurdle when you are trying to convince uh the other side to uh what you believe but you are almost brick when as soon as you bring up numbers and facts yeah we're, we're
0: bad storytellers but what are the stories that are told about libertarians it's going to turn into somalia uh the poor aren't going to be taken care of the vote for a libertarian is a vote for a democrat you know these are the stories that people tell about us and we never refute we just get mad at the stories instead of I- instead of inventing our own stories that In a society run by a a libertarian framework, the poor will be better taken care of because empathy is necessary for a libertarian uh, society to thrive. When When I see someone in need, I will then provide for that person in need. I just had an instance where I was just texting with a friend. Somebody has an issue. They don't have money to fix a problem. And I said, how can we do a GoFundMe? My empathy, because I saw a person in need, said, I want to help. How do I help? And what we what we so often do, we're still living in the relics of the, you know, you saw the rise of the city-state, oh, 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 you know, in the Renaissance, the medieval ages. You see the rise of the city-state. We're now at the end of the city-state, and we're transitioning to a more libertarian future. And people are very uncomfortable with that transition, because they don't know how it's going to work. And the reality is that the way that it works is that you care for the hundred people that you see on a daily basis because that's the world. The world for you and me are the people that we come into physical contact with on a daily basis. And if we're lucky, maybe a few people online. But you and I will have this conversation. We will hang up and, and maybe we'll be good Facebook friends, but we probably will never have, uh, no, no offense, you seem like a nice guy, but the reality is that we will probably not have a, a an intimate friendship yeah. because of the because of the distance. And so for me to have an opinion on how you live in Jacksonville, Florida and for you to try and force me in Indianapolis to live the way that you'd like is so ludicrous. Like the idea yeah. that a, a New York presidential candidate needs to have an opinion about a uh, a situation in a uh, small Florida or you know, it's like you'd look at the MAGA kids in Kentucky like all these people who live in places who will never meet the MAGA kids in the MAGA hats at the at the monuments have an opinion about them. And yeah. we've got to do something. And we've got to take care of this. And and we never stop and realize that the public square is a myth. The reality is that your world is the hundred people that will come to your funeral. And that's what you need to tend to. And and if you take the psychic energy from caring about what Donald Trump or Kim Kardashian or uh, Lindsey Graham or Vladimir Putin, you stop taking that psychic energy and giving it to the news who is manipulating you for their own for their own personal gain and start giving it to the people in front of you that are hurting we 're going to have a better world and so I think if we can start telling that story that 's an idea that people go, "You know what? I never thought of it like that. It is ludicrous that five hundred and thirty five people in washington d c tell my kids how to be educated." when the hundred people that I come in contact with at my children's school know better than they do. And you're right, you do know better than they do. And all you have to do is take the power back. All you have to do, if you've ever seen the meme, there's like a great meme of a hundred people standing on one side of a board, and then the other side of the board is a politician with a podium, and there's a cliff beneath him. Yeah. And and you have one person turning around and walking away. And that's what we're dealing with here. You have the ability to change the world by the decisions that you make. And the clicks on Facebook, the stories that you read, the TV that you watch— and the attention that you give away to unimportant things instead of investing in your children or having children or donating to a local charity. These these are the things that actually make the world better. And uh, I I'm, I'm just becoming a radical advocate for trying to make your world more free instead of trying to make the country more free because that's an impossible task for you and I. We, we will get easily frustrated when we try to make the world more free by electing a presidential candidate instead of getting out and saying, I see a hurting person. How can I help them? I'm here to help you because I'm a libertarian and I believe in empathy. I believe in love as, as a guiding principle. That's a, that's a story that people want to invest in they don't want to invest in well my tribe if we're elected president will beat your tribe better than the other t- like it's nonsense and so we have to start telling a better story and we'll, we'll get a better result if we do
1: yeah no you're absolutely right the the local level is far more effective than anything that the federal government has has done uh, so far in its history i mean it just makes sense your fellow person as you pass by it, that affects you. you you know in your local area that is really what affects your life, and, and and really, how do you see how do you see the change of power coming, f- getting removed from the federal government to the local level? I, I mean, I know that you can vote these politicians in, but I think shows like you um, and the We Are Libertarians podcast are a a very important part of kind of expanding these ideas and maybe taking hold of these local elections and these, these local governments and kind of putting a more focus on, Hey, here's how you can actually improve your daily life. People get so, um, so frustrated and, 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 and uh, honestly, they're scared, um, about the, the power that the federal government has. That's why you see this visceral combat between the right and the left is because there's far too much power in the federal government as it is.
0: Yeah, I'm working on this podcast here locally about how Indianapolis grew from a place called India Place into the crown jewel of the Midwest. I mean, we're a city that your city probably has come to my city to figure out how, what we've done, how we've done it. It's called Leaders and Legends, if you're interested. And it's basically all the people who have held power over the last 40 years are coming on this podcast to tell the story of Indianapolis's growth. And what you've repeatedly hear are people who are friends with each other. They are the elite of Indianapolis. But when you actually sit down and talk with the elite, their goal is to make Indianapolis a better place. Yeah, they want a paycheck. They want some personal g- gain. And, you know, they want a good job and a good salary. And they want to network so they can have a better career opportunity. So there is some, some personal gain to it. But what you, what you realize is literally anybody can have access to that power circle if they just keep showing up. And secondly, the majority of these decisions that have been made about Indianapolis over the last 50 years have been done without thought of, does it benefit my party? It it is much more nonpartisan than people think. And so, you know, the the city government has grown, yes, and as a libertarian, I, I have issues with a lot of that. But at the same time, I see it and I see rational decisions being made as opposed to irrational decisions being made. And it's because... People are sitting—people, you know, there was uh, something called the City Committee that this guy got together in the 70s and 80s. I think it was the 80s. And it was, like, the the up-and-coming politicians that ended up—you know, they became the lieutenant governor. They became the governor. They became the owner of the Pacers. They became these these important people in uh, state and local government. But they got together and had breakfast once a month just to talk about their vision of the city and what, what could be improved. And I've got an idea— and it was Democrats, you know, urban black Democrats hanging out with suburban, you know, Republicans and getting along and having fun with each other. And that's the power of local government because you can have a conversation. Right. And you used to have a federal government small enough that the Congress could do that, but it's not that way anymore. We have we've had an abd- a, a abdication by Congress of power to the executive branch, and that's ex- extremely dangerous. And so— what local governments can do, what we can all do, is start getting more involved in our local communities, take a less aggressive stance towards the quote-unquote elite, because you can be the elite if you just show up to a campaign, start stuffing envelopes, and 15 years later, you're a decision maker. It's I've seen it 150 times now over the last 15 years um it's happened to me (laughs) you know i'm in rooms that i'm just going how did i get here (laughs) uh and and i'm a libertarian and it's just because i just am nice to people and i keep getting new opportunities because i'm friendly you took the
1: time yeah
0: yeah i took the time to to say yes to opportunities when a lot of people say nah i'm kind of i don't want to do that um and i think the way that we do it is we we start to put our focus on our local communities We start to take an interest in our local governments, and we stop taking an interest in in uh, uh, higher—you know, I'll I'll steal a joke that I heard once. You know, the best way to deal with a problem is to ignore it. That's how I dealt with my first wife. Uh, (laughs) But— and, and there's some truth to it if that if we just start start ignoring like I have over the last like three like two or three months, and I know I run a political show, but the last month or two i 've just disconnected from social media and i 've disconnected from the news and um i don 't really know what a lot of the conversations are right now because i 'm so disconnected, and i've never felt more engaged in my city as a result because i 'm putting that energy into <laughs> my local community i've never felt uh less anxiety about the direction of society than I do right now. And it's because I've stopped letting the people who are paid to scare me. I've stopped giving them the opportunity to scare me. And so I think if we just start walking away from the national media, cable television news, like if you're watching television news, you're having your intelligence insulted and you're being made afraid of something like that, it's just all there is to it. If we stop, if we stop paying attention to the fights on Twitter and If we can all achieve a piece of not knowing what the argument of the day is on Twitter, uh, I think we'll all be better off. And so that's how we do it. We we have to be intentional about where we put our priorities and our focus. And when you change your priorities and you change your focus, you're going to change yourself, your community – your your family and it's and it's just going to be much more empowering
1: yeah i agree 100 percent with what you're saying chris um have you one of the things that i found out about um just the other day over in new hampshire there's a program going around called the free state project i believe have you heard of this yeah
0: yeah i have i've been to the new i've been to new hampshire been to pork fest i've experienced the free state project it's great
1: can you can you explain a little bit about what the free state project um exactly is and what pork fest Mm -hmm. is i've i've heard them in passing and in in podcasts but i'm not entirely sure what exactly that is
0: Yes, you are. You are becoming a libertarian if you've in passing heard of Porkfest and the Free State Project. <laughs> when you are in the Free State Project, that's when you know you might have gone too far. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 I love the Free State Project idea. I think it is. Uh, you know, I used to mock it. I used to make fun of it. And it is basically a pledge that within, uh, you know, a certain amount of pledges, I think like twenty thousand pledges, everybody's going to move to New Hampshire, which is a smaller state. And you can have more you know because there 's less population, you can have more control in government there's four hundred state legislators, so you can have a great representation of libertarians and anarchists in new hampshire so it's it 's a very um well organized movement over the last twenty to forty years that has basically been recruiting people to move to New Hampshire, and so they have built in you know, Seacoast, like my friend Roger Paxton, a lava flow, lives in Seacoast. He moved there from Arkansas. Uh, I have I, I went and visited Porkfest, which is kind of their—the Free State Project puts on uh, a couple great events. Porkfest is like a week-long festival, celebration, camp out— you know, it's just it's a. T- I mean, driving to the White Mountains in the summer when it's seventy and sunset and oh, beautiful, beautiful. It's like it's just it's such a great time. It's yeah. you know, uh, I, I cannot I cannot recommend going to Pork Fest enough. I'm disappointed I can't go this year, um, but uh, you know the the Free State. What I, what I found when I went to New Hampshire and I I met people in the Free State Project who moved there. Um I I I met a lot of guys. Like I think there's no doubt that men are disconnected from society. They are disconnected from you know good mental health. They're they're disconnected from community and uh you know su- uh, deaths of despair are are lowering our life expectancy and it's because we've lost community. I think there's a there's a great book called Them by Ben Sass, the senator that I highly recommend that kind of explains the loneliness problem. Um and when you go to New Hampshire, you find a lot of those guys. One guy told me last year, he goes, if I hadn't found the Free State Project, I'd be hanging in my garage because when I moved here, I found a lot of people that I oh, wow. could connect with around these ideas. I found a lot of purpose in my life. And it is, uh, it's is—it's a beautiful thing. So I think there, if you're... If you're committed to the ideas of liberty, I would absolutely take a look at the Free State Project. I personally don't want to move to New Hampshire. I would move to, to Concord, New Hampshire in a heartbeat if it were always June. In Concord. Uh, That's but, what I'm
1: saying. I'm from Jacksonville. Right. I've, I've lived in Florida most of my life. I don't know if I can handle that cold weather. Yeah.
0: But, you know, like I was like, oh, man, I dig this. I could move here. And then I drove by a snowmobile museum and I was like, oh, no, know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I have been fortunate in that I have, you know, we have a strong libertarian community here in Indiana. I have uh, been fortunate to find a lot of meaning in the community here. I've created my own community. But I think if you're just like an introverted person who's, you know, or, or an extroverted person or you're just looking to make more of an impact on a local level, I, I, I love the idea of it. Uh, but I think we should all have free state projects in our own communities if we're not going to move. If you're not going to go and be a part of that project, then you need to start your own where you're at and start building local communities of libertarians that you can you can just start, you know, making friendships I mean, so when the society collapses, you at least have some friends, Keaton.
1: No, yeah, I I think that's a fantastic idea, right. Chris. No, I I really think, um, you know, as I was kind of hearing about, I can't remember which podcast I I heard it on, but I think I heard it on a couple different ones. But that that free state project idea is a very interesting idea um, to kind of get more of a libertarian influence on a on, on a one singular location. Yeah, and um. Really one of the things um to kind of dive back into our topic list here um trump um has been <laughs> so it says right here um president donald trump's reelection is Backing a controversial plan to give the government a role in managing America's next generation 5G wireless network, bucking the free market consensus view of his own administration and sparking wireless industry fears of nationalization. The plan, embraced by Trump 2020 campaign manager um, Brad Parscale and advisor Newt Gingrich would involve the government taking 5G airwaves and designing a system to allow for the sharing of them on a wholesome basis with wireless providers. The idea is also being pushed by a politically connected wireless company backed by venture capitalist. Peter Thiel, that could stand to benefit. So it's it's interesting. You know, I was watching the um, the state of the union and Trump goes up there and, you know, he says, and America will never be a socialist nation. And they do the, <laughs> the classic zoom in on Bernie Sanders face. And he's just right. kind of like, you know, uh, but then Trump turns around and does something like this. Uh, that's it's very interesting. It it is
0: fear that the Chinese are going to come in and build the five G towers and have access to our our network. The five G is the, the the hype around it is that it's going to change all of humanity and everybody's going to have free Wi Fi and it's you know it's probably all BS. But
1: I I could not help but as soon as I saw and and read this article, I could not. I I am assuming I I know I've I've heard in past podcasts, but I'm assuming you have watched the um, Joe Rogan, Alex Jones' latest podcast.
0: You know, I have been so busy with other stuff that I have not sat down and watched this four and a half hour oh, Odyssey. No. But yeah, that is a long I, one. I, I I am so excited too because I, while I am not a conspiracy theorist, I am an, a huge Alex Jones fan. I think he's a great performer. I think he's hilarious. He it's so I, entertaining. I just, the memes that come out of it. I mean, Alex Jones. <laughs> just some of what I've seen is just making me laugh. But oh, no. Well, I'll tell you, I know they I, talked about 5G, and I, I listen to the No Agenda podcast. They think it's going to fry our brains. Like, There's a lot of I, – I don't know if it's conspiracy or – there's alternative information about 5G that <laughs> I, I hear a lot of, and I go,
1: eh, I hope that's not true. Yeah, no, it actually is. Um, well, and that's one of the things about Alex Jones that's – um, kind of unsettling is you know you you sit there and he's so entertaining to sit there and watch and you kind of take everything he says obviously with a grain of salt because he's very hyperbolic, right. um but a lot of what he brings up and is said is rooted in something that has been researched and has been found. Go go um,
0: go read about Jeffrey Epstein and then go maybe that PizzaGate thing wasn't so far fetched. No <laughs> like, no kidding, like you are there, absolutely
1: right. That there is are definitely. Freaky.
0: Well, that's the thing about Alex Jones is that it's 50 percent vitamin sales and self-hype uh, and self-promotion and and fifty 25 and percent just absolute nonsense, insanity. And then there's 25 percent that's just rooted in fact where you go, is that true? And you go and fact check him and you go, oh, shit. <laughs> you yeah, know, I think uh, – sorry if you're not allowed to curse, but – No, you're fine. Um, I'll I'll mark it on the tape so that way you can mute me. uh, (laughs) But you know there 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 is stuff like this 5G stuff that you you see the conspiracies around it. And I I, listen. I'm not. uh, I know I know government power, and I can tell you that the idea of nationalizing 5G, we we need to not freak out about it because what you need to realize is that the government already controls all of it because of the FCC. You're you know right. the real the reality is is that if you have a Sprint network and you have an AT and T network, which is what we have now, you know T-Mobile and AT and T are on one network, Sprint and uh, Verizon are on another. Um, you know those companies control it, but ultimately they're heavily regulated. I work in radio. You're talking about an industry that's wildly regulated in terms of bandwidth and who can own what and how many stations. And it's you know the idea that the 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 and the private corporations are. Hold on. Well, my cat is playing with my AirPods, and uh, it's all over now. <laughs> I'll never see that again. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, my AirPods. Uh, I'm sorry to show. <laughs> I'm sorry to show off my wealth and white privilege to your audience in such a way, but <laughs> yeah. Um. So the reality is that the AT and T and Sprint and Verizon and these companies that that own these networks now are so in bed to the government and so they've bought off the FCC. They've bought off the, the the politicians that regulate them like right. it's it's a myth that the government doesn't already control it
1: yeah no you're absolutely right it, it, but it, it, I, I just thought it was so interesting and you'll i i know for a fact after listening to you and, and kind of hearing how your views on on alex jones and how you enjoy listening to him you will find that whole four and a half hours to be complete uh, entertainment you will just you enjoy it just go look up
0: Uh, deluxe stereo or stereo deluxe did uh alex jones has a folk song and try not to try not to get that stuck in your head for the rest (laughs) of the week like it's i can i I use it as my kind of like lead-in music to test my equipment before every show for (laughs) our patrons (laughs) because i just love it so much like i just he's such a unique character in in broadcasting and and he's built such an amazing like uh, as as a person who wants to build media networks and does that for a living, like I find him and Glenn Beck particularly interesting in <laughs> what they have been able to independently build and achieve. Um, you know, so he's just a fascinating human being. Like he, I, I think you. The reality is that people people get so wigged out about trying to control what you think. That if you really just watched Alex Jones, you would go, "This is bullshit! Like this yeah. is this is nonsense! Like what are you doing?" Um, I I I just don't need someone to keep Alex Jones from hitting my my eyes. I, I can I as a thinking adult can watch the guy and find value in what he does and that it's entertainment. Yes, but not necessarily news value that I'll make decisions on. So right. it, it, I I just think like the 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 uh, censorship of social media with Alex Jones was such a, a travesty because they did what they always do—they pick, they picked a target that nobody's going to defend, and they created the mechanisms and the permission to do that. And then it's just not going to stop; it's just going to continue to cascade. And it's like you tweet, learn to code, and then you're gone. It's like um, I, Christians may know the name Charles Swindoll, who is this like seventy-something preacher radio preacher, delightful human being. And like I went to his Twitter today and he has uh, a security check on it. Like are you sure you want to see this 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 account promotes uh ideas that are dangerous yeah, I've basically. Seen that before. And it was on Charles Swindoll's like this is a a Christian preacher who has says nothing offensive but probably said something you know about homosexuality once, and now he, 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 you have to hit a gate no, it, to see it, this guy. Yeah, it's
1: it's so interesting because y- you know you will get the gate whenever you go to view that profile, but when you go to view Louis Farrakhan's profile, right, you, you don't see any gate. There's no gate there, uh, and it's so interesting. I, I I do watch a lot of. Um, or I do listen to a lot of uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, And he recently had the one with Jack Dorsey, um, his second one, since he got some, um, some pushback on his uh, first podcast he had with Jack Dorsey, which is the, right. uh, the CEO of Twitter. Um, but his second one, he he did a second one because he, he got a lot. It was probably his most disliked on YouTube episode um, in the Joe Rogan experience history. And, yeah. um, But he went and he did a second episode because of the pushback because a lot of fans didn't think that he pushed Jack Dorsey enough. He didn't ask enough questions. He was he's very um, laid back in his questioning and he just kind of let Jack uh, get away on a lot of different topics. But on this latest one, he brought on Tim Pool, which was so interesting because Tim Pool did not lay back on uh, the questioning and he came very prepared with a ton of different examples. Um, And that was a very interesting uh, podcast to listen to um, just to hear Jack Dorsey. And I believe he brought on, I can't even remember the lady's name. I'm sorry, but um, one of his, um, the lead person in his company that devises the rules. And um, it was very interesting to listen to that podcast to give um, for them to give an explanation of why did they ban Alex Jones? Um, why did they? Um, why did they only did lean they, in did, a in a in a liberal direction on their censorship? It was a very interesting. Did episode. they have
0: any? Did they have any decent
1: explanations? Um, I, I will say this: they and Tim Pool said this at, at towards the end of the episode. He f- he said something along the lines of. I understand what you're saying. I just don't believe you. Right. And it was one of those things where they gave some, some decent exam uh, uh, explanations on some of the uh, examples, but on others, they, they totally copped out and, and they weren't able to. And even Joe Rogan was very, very um, much better at pushing um, Jack Dorsey and, and, and his, um, and his uh, accomplice uh, on this uh, podcast. <laughs> that's a funny. That's a funny no, word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it really. If you listen to it, it really kind of is. It, it's um. It's almost like an accomplice, and where they actually push them on these examples, and they really aren't able to give a good example. They're just like, well, you know, we understand we make mistakes. That's that's good. We're getting this feedback right now, and it's just like, well, what are you going right. to do?
0: Yeah, I just I look at the censorship of it all, and I just go, well, who who. Like the reality is that what happens, it, 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 and you saw it with Tim Pool. Like I, I saw the meme basically where Tim Pool on the video says, uh, "You, I, I wish I had the quote, but basically, you know, you have journal, you support journalists who falsely claim that people are Nazis and ruin careers based on hearsay." And then literally like five minutes after that, there was a a blue checkmark journalist saying he was a right wing alt right troll like Tim Poole's a liberal like he's he's a progressive. So, you know, and and that's what like the the travesty of Brian Steltzer and Oliver Darcy, you know, who used to work for alternative media at the Blaze and the Daily Caller, um, you know, what a disappointment that guy is. And, And, you know. He <laughs> used to talk about freedom of speech all the time and glowing terms. and, and th- But the thing is, journalists really want licensed journalists because they want to control who has a voice because journalists don't want to have to compete with you and me for uh, the attention of the listener. Like, the people that are listening to this right now are paying attention to us and not them, and they're mad about it. Yeah, And then, you know, people are taking ad dollars from their their networks and their newspapers, and they're giving it to networks that we're on and paying for dollars for the attention of our people. So th- they're mad about the the reality of new media stripping traditional media of its revenue and its attention. And so the New York Times will do everything in its power to put pressure on Twitter, and CNN will do everything they can to pressure Facebook— to get rid of people like you, me, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, because they don't want to have to compete, mm-hmm. and, and and John Stewart really nailed it in that the media has just exposed itself as another identity group that is just arguing for relevancy. They aren't the media that they claim to be. They're not the guardians of truth. They're all they're all just full of themselves, and so. Yeah. It's not that all journalism, like I hate the people who are like, ah, oh, you just posted something from the New York Times. Whoa, well, I won't believe that. Like, there is great journalism that comes from newspapers. You know, I, I, you know, the Indianapolis Star here in town. Like, you would never know about Larry Nasser and USA Gymnastics if it weren't for their journalism. Yeah, um, wow. we had a, a Flint, a Flint water crisis basically in a town called Franklin. You wouldn't know that if it weren't for local television news and good reporting, like stuff like that is important. But at the end of the day, when you try to use your position to beat beat competitors, you know, when CNN has a, an entire hour every Sunday dedicated to to beating up Fox News, it's like you're not doing journalism. You're doing advocacy. You're doing advertising <laughs> for for your own p- product, and that's not journalism. So, I I just. I look at what's going on, and I just can't believe that grown adults think that they know what I ought to be exposed to or not exposed to. No, you're absolutely
1: um, right. Yeah, and you see the likes of um, – especially with the latest example with CNN and um, reporting on BuzzFeed articles. Uh, like this is the world that we live in where the the company that is most known for their top ten lists is is getting – uh, releasing articles from anonymous sources, and it's getting um, blasted out on the likes of MSNBC and CNN, and it's just these unbelievable uh, stories. Where, of course, I'm talking about the uh, uh, the Michael Cohn piece, where BuzzFeed reported that Michael Cohn was uh, told by Donald Trump to lie to Congress, and and that ended up being a which is something we all. If flop. you
0: followed the story, you knew. That was out there and that it hadn't been corroborated and they couldn't even corro- – like, it used to be that you you would not report something unless your you had two sources. So just because the New York Times reported something, you, as the Washington Post, would need two sources of your own to verify before you'd put it in your newspaper. Well, now – the the reporting is BuzzFeed is saying, Explosive New Report is saying, now we've not verified this, but they're saying, and they repeat it over and over it's and such over. It's a cop-out. That's called propaganda. That's not journalism.
1: Yeah. It's such a cop-out to be able to say, oh, and they use that as a crutch, to be like, well, it was reported that, or it was said that, and that way their tracks are covered, but they still are able to broadcast that, that out to the masses. And and most people are not going to see any revisions. You see it with the, uh, the, 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 the likes of uh, the Covington high school kids. You you see all Mm -hmm. these different things where they, they broadcast the original story and CNN, I believe took like um, two weeks to revise the original story (sighs) that they had broadcast on these kids. And, And by then it was very obvious what the real story was. Right. But, but the, the majority of the people who are reading that article are not going to see the revisions two weeks later.
0: No, I, I, you realize how easy it is to create news if you are on the left. Like this guy, the the Phillips guy, the Native American is is an agitator, a professional agitator in the mold of Saul Alinsky. He's had a history and, of doing it, yeah, and and has and has the networks to get himself in the news and get himself on the news by five p.m. Whereas the kids take two days before they can get a statement out, you know. I mean, it, it just like we're our eyes are open. We see the the BS that it is. We see what what it's about. And like I am, I am a more conservative leaning person. Um, I'm a libertarian. I, I I vote for all three parties. You know, honestly, every single election. Um, I'm a fairly independent minded person, but it, there's just no doubt that there's that Republicans, you know, if the Republicans do something bad, the, the headline is Republicans do something bad. And if the if a Democrat does something bad, the headline is Republicans pounce on Democrat who may have done something wrong. Like, yeah, there's just it's it's irrefutable at this point. And it's so insane that like lib, that the journalists and liberals even try to refute that there is bias in the media because it's so irrefutable at this point.
1: Yeah, it is really ridiculous. And and I mean, I do have some friends in the left that um, that always seem to jump on Fox News, and rightly so. I mean, Fox News has, I mean, there is no doubt that they are very heavily biased, but they are known for their bias on the right. right and they actually, they, they are, um, they have said that they are a biased news source. You know, that's why they took out Fair and Balanced. Um, on, On Fox News. And and so but you have the likes of CNN, which pretends to be a balanced news source right in the middle when they are obviously not. They are just misleading the public, but they can't just admit that they are a left leaning news source. So it's just like it's so frustrating to see these they major had, news outlets do this. Just,
0: just admit it. Like you know, we have the cordon, the newspapers here in Indiana, the Corden Democrat, the Rushville Republican. Yes, these these yeah. are named that for a reason because you used to have three or four newspapers even in a small town. Like, you know, New Harmony, Indiana had a thousand people and it had three newspapers in in the, the late eighteen hundreds. You know, in Indianapolis, you had three newspapers up until the fifties. Um, what What is happening now is what has always happened. It is, it is that people of a certain worldview or vision of the world produce media for their people, um, and they tell their version of the story, and you have to read, you know, just go read National Review, read Vox, read Reason Magazine, read The New York Times, and then maybe, you know, go read uh, Zero Hedge, for your more conspiratorial side and you're good like you kind of get the news from from a balanced perspective that's all the, that's all that's really asked of you but the idea that CNN wants you to only watch them because they are unbiased is ludicrous like it's just not the the, the, the they're in New York City they are run by a guy who used to run NBC he you know Zucker created you know, the, the Thursday night lineup of S- Seinfeld. Like, the guy's been in Hollywood forever. Yeah. You know, he enjoys going to parties and being significant. Uh, you know, the the venerated Ed, uh, Ben Bradley, the editor of the New York Times, was best friends with Jack Kennedy. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. when he was working at Newsweek or Time. Like, so the idea that we have some sort of, uh, th- that Walter Cronkite wasn't coming from a decided worldview is just ludicrous. Like, he was coming from... The worldview of the Council on Foreign Relations crowd, and uh, you all just bought it because you didn't have access to other information. And then, you know, people just couldn't stand when National Review or Fox News or other other worldviews started to creep in, and they really can't stand it now that people like me have a voice that I have. I have on on any given day the reach of an afternoon on CNN yeah <laughs> like, no it's and unbelievable I'm
1: small potatoes yeah no it's it's absolutely right and that's why i said uh, podcasts like yours is so important to the um to the political spectrum whereas um the, the likes of CNN and and even Fox News i mean is only reaching a limited amount of people um, and more people are, are seeking out these, these elements. But since we're on the topic of, of crazy news stories and crazy news outlets, um, I did want to hit on this cause we are getting close to the end of the episode here. I did want to hit on this, um, this, this crazy news story that I found. So in Germany, a family pug was seized and sold on eBay to cover unpaid debts. So let me just read a little bit of this article from NPR here. So City workers in Germany have seized a family-predigreed pet pug and sold the animal on eBay to cover the debts of the owners, including an unpaid dog tax. Um, it says the spokesman from the city of Alen told NPR in an email that the seizure of the valuable pet was legally permissible because of the open claims by the city's treasury office. However, he acknowledged that the method used to sell the dog might be open to criticism. Um, yeah, obtaining, you think? yeah, they sold it on eBay. Uh, obtaining the proceeds of the sale through the private eBay account was very questionable. Decision by the enforcement officer. Um, he added that the city was undertaking an internal investigation. Um, I know, I know, you're a. Uh, I just saw your cat. Uh, just a few minutes yeah. ago, walk by. Yeah. I know you're a pet person. What would you do if the U.S. government took your cat and sold it to cover your debts? Um, to the government? Well,
0: you just heard my cat tried to destroy AirPods, so she's she's you'd give her back because this <laughs> yeah. mittens is mittens is the most destructive animal I've ever been around. She probably be I more mean,
1: trouble than she's worth.
0: Like pugs are god's little mistake i don't I don't know how they <laughs> happened, and they have like i would I don't know what they're worth, but not much and so it's sort of like when you're really broke, you know in your early twenties or you know maybe you're after your divorce, and you go to the pawn shop and you really need two hundred dollars and they offer you fifty. Like, I feel like that's what you'd get with a pug. Like, you'd, you'd think, well, this guy owes $2,000, so we're going to take his pug. And then <laughs> yeah. they're like, well, I'll give you $75.
1: Yeah, this was a pedigree pug. I mean, this was a, uh, a very... No uh, such thing. I, no. I, yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is... The, 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 <laughs> <sitting> there, <laughs> that's a pedigree pug. Yeah, just sitting there struggling to survive while sitting still. And And, I mean, this is a pedigree pug that the owner, okay, the owner had to pay um, for several surgeries for this dog, exceeding $2,000. So the owner is actually getting with the the city officials that took her dog and sold it and is wanting to be reimbursed with the surgeries she had to pay for for this dog. So not only was it a pedigree pug, but she had to spend another two grand on the surgeries for the pedigree pug you, you <clears throat> this is just the reality is that you
0: don't you don't own your home you don't own anything in it like i i had a friend who uh was a, in an incident last night where he got into an argument with a manager at a gas station and a cop watched it and he was very calm but the manager was screaming and then he almost went to jail because he didn't want to show his id to the cop and the cop says, "Well, I'm not letting you leave until you show me your ID." And he goes, "I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not. I'm not showing you." And the police officer said, "Well, then you're not leaving." And he goes, "Wow. There, there's no reason for you to keep me. I committed no crime. Yeah. I had a disagreement with someone. I'm leaving after they've asked me to leave. There was no physical violence. I don't need to show you ID. Well, then I'll run your plates. Okay, run my plates, but I'm not going to." show you my id because i did nothing wrong. Yeah. There is there is absolutely no magical power that comes with that man wearing that blue that blue uniform and putting on a badge. There's no reason for him to have some extra power where he gets to just detain a citizen for no reason because he doesn't like his tone. Yeah. And and so the reality is that government takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and the more you let it and the more you make excuses for the man in the magical blue uniform who, oh, well, guess what? They confiscate guns. Guess what? They put you in jail when you don't do what the government wants. I'm not anti-police, but I, I am anti-authority that has been granted to the police. Uh, and I'm I'm anti-government authority because at the end of the day, the reality of government is that it is different than the private sector.
1: No, no. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct because you see the the power of the police force, and you kind of hinted on this um, a little bit before because the power of the police force is increasing. You see these these SWAT teams and these these local police uh, departments increasing in their equipment that they're receiving. But you listen well. The big differentiator is
0: government force. You you because you can't persuade to have your ideas enacted by society like gay rights for instance you didn't need the government to to do anything on gay rights society culture changed and then the government changed yes with it it is persuasion where people through empathy said you know what my gay neighbor's not that bad like if he wants to live his life in a different way than i might live my life then the government should should not have any interference in that like that's that's how that worked like The government for if you don't believe in government force, don't pay your parking tickets. Yeah, don't don't pay your taxes. What happens at the end of that train? You are either in a cage. You are either bankrupt or there is a gun pointed at your head. Like there, that is the difference, and that is why people like to use government as the solution because government forces people to to act instead of having to take the extra step of trying to persuade people or just accepting that people are different than you and they're going to live a different life. And you don't need to understand what it's like to live this way or that way or you don't need to, you know, uh, force other people to live in the way that you think you ought to live. Like, just surround yourself with 100 people that think like you do and you'll be fine, you know? Like, let them go have their compound of polyamorous dope-smoking hippies and then you, you all can go just pray by the river and like not not you know have extramarital sex like the, <laughs> it, it, you don't and then maybe you'll end up becoming friends because they make a product that your your community needs like that's how this works and what what we have gotten because we've gotten too far ahead of ourselves with government force is that uh one community doesn't want to persuade and so they've f- used government force and then at the end of the day everybody's wrestling for the gun. Yeah. And so it cr- it creates enemies where friends should exist.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Chris, I'll tell you what, this has been a lot of fun. We're running out of time here. Um for those listening check out the we are libertarians podcast it's it's a great source of information if you are interested in the libertarian philosophy it's just a bunch of uh guys getting together they're not pushing an ideology they're just discussing the issues in a a very laid-back manner i really enjoy listening to the show chris thank you again so much for coming on the show i really appreciate you taking the time to come out
0: yeah absolutely i had fun it was great to meet you
1: it was great to meet you as well Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. Later.